of all of the mediocre men who have podcasts that are terrible. And I was like, I need to just do this because even if it's horrible, it's going to be like just as good as theirs. So I'm just going to do it. I'm over here nodding vigorously. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. We're on the Relay FM podcasting network, and I'm your host, Aline Sims. Today, I'm joined by Alex Laughlin. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Who are you, Alex? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I am a social media editor at the Washington Post. I am also a host and producer of The Ladycast, which is a podcast where I interview women who are doing amazing things in their careers. And then I'm also the co-founder and moderator of Pay Up, which is a Slack community for um, dedicated to fostering conversations about the gender wage gap. And that is how we met. I was just going to say that is how we met. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? How did Pay Up get started? Oh my gosh. Well, I, about a year ago now, was tasked um, with coming up with an idea for the gender wage gap. That was all I was given. My boss had gone to a conference and was really excited. Excited is a weird word, but he got really fired up about the concept of the wage gap. And he was like, Alex, I want you to do something about this. I don't really care what it is. Just do something. I went back and forth, a bunch of different project ideas. Um, But ultimately I was thinking, you know, these conversations are happening among women everywhere. And why don't we, like, as the Washington Post, use our platform and our influence to foster these conversations and kind of bring them out of the shadows and create a place where people can have these conversations together? Um, And so we launched, I think, in February. We had a soft launch with a small beta group of about 20 women. And from there, I think we launched publicly on Equal Pay Day or maybe a week before then. My dates are mixed up, but we've been going strong for a few months and it's been really fun. So one of the issues that I have as I'm in the tech industry and as a woman in the tech industry, I kind of feel like there are a lot of women and, you know, people of color and members of the LGBTQAIP community and like like all of the people who are considered marginalized who are kind of like boots on the ground doing this work saying, hey, look, you know, like believe it or not, this wage gap thing is an actual thing that happens. And I don't see employers as frequently talking about it or telling us what they're doing about it. And so it's really, really fascinating to me that the Washington Post, like people in the Washington Post are hey, like, hey, let's do this thing and see, see what we can do to enact some change. So I, I, I guess I don't have a question there, but I feel <laughs> I, it's just it's completely foreign to me and remarkable. I wish that we saw that in more places. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, this has definitely been a project from Julia Carpenter and me, and we had to persuade a lot of people to be down with this. And the other thing I'll say is that this is definitely like 
it verges on a little bit of advocacy, but we, you know, are still a journalistic organization. And so we aim to be as balanced as we can. And a big part of what we're trying to do is use this community to inspire story ideas for the website. We have right now this very hyper-specific community and that's only a fraction of the real community that exists of women who are, you know, concerned about the money they're being paid and the way they're being compensated and their overall equality in the world. And yeah, so we're, we're wanting to be able to better serve that community. So it's kind of like a, a double-sided goal where we really want to create an authentic community on the platform, but we also want to be able to serve that community in a more authentic way, like as the Washington Post. So how do you feel it's going? It's going, I think it's going pretty well. It's, um, it's really exciting because, you know, it was really scary to start. Julie and I have really different working styles and she's much more of a creative, free-flowing type of person and I'm super type A. And so at first we were like push and pull, like trying to kind of come toward the middle. Um, And I was really panicked if there would be a day when conversation would be slow. I'd be like, no, people need to talk all the time. But it's it's been, it's been moving. And like, what's gotten me most excited is seeing the members create their own channels within the Slack community about things that are totally unrelated to what pay up is ostensibly about. So, you know, we have a music channel, we have a periods channel. Um, there's like a Nico Atsume channel, which is great. Um, I don't think I've been keeping up with all the channels. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm like obsessively following them, obviously, um, because that's like one of the very few metrics we can track for success. Yeah, but it's it's been cool. It's become more of a place like a meeting ground for people to have conversations. And that was the point to begin with. But we didn't realize that it would also become a place where people were actually making friends and like building relationships. It's it's been great, um, I think, for me, where as someone who is uh, dipping their toe in the freelancing water, mm. um, you know, I've been a contract worker for a long time, but I haven't been like a freelancer looking for, you know, small jobs here and there. It was more like like a very consistent contract that I had previously. And so like just being able to go in there and ask questions about like, how do you put rate sheets together and, um, and what kind of rates are you charging or what are you noticing in your areas? And that kind of thing has been really, really valuable to me. I know that's not a metric that you can track, but, (laughs) um, I've really, really appreciated this community and, um, you know, seeing, seeing people come in and, and the types of, uh, conversations that are happening. And obviously I need to start exploring channels more frequently. (laughs) Yeah. But people are super, super smart in there. Like there's some really, really accomplished women and there's a whole range of experiences. So we have people who are like really high level in their jobs and some people who are college graduates and yeah, it's, it's just like really cool. Like obviously Julie and I don't have the answers for everything or really anything, Um, but it's been nice to, uh, connect people with people who can give them answers and facilitate discussions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you've done is have, you know, people kind of come in and join the Slack and kind of run like Q and a sessions or discussion sessions. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to, you know, pay up could exist like without the Washington post, anybody could have started it. And I'm sure that a community like it exists, 
Um, so we wanted to give people a reason to be part of our community. And part of what we have is the ability to bring in experts and like thought leaders. That's in air quotes. Uh Um, (laughs) Liberal air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like bringing in people who are experts in their fields, um, to be able to share that knowledge with the community. So, um, yeah, I was really excited to have, uh, Celise Berry from Mountain Equal come and talk about how to make your workplace more inclusive to, uh, for LGBT employees. And yeah, I'm really hoping to do more of that. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, let me know. Um, I'm sure I might be able to to brainstorm and potentially put you in touch with some people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because it's just such a valuable, like I said, I keep using the words valuable resource because <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really is. And I've had you know, good conversations in there. So are you accepting if people are listening to this and thinking, oh gosh, this sounds like a really great place to be. Um, can people join the Slack community? They can. So we have a uh, sign up page. I'm sure you signed up through that sign up page too, because that's how we sign people up. Um, but I can send you the link. Uh, we're right now accepting people from the tech industry. So women and, you know, non-gender binary, et cetera, humans who are not male identified, who work in the tech industry right now. But if you don't work in the tech industry and you still want to join, you should still sign up because we're hoping to open up to other industries soon. And so if you sign up now, then we'll have your name in the database already. And then you'll get an email whenever we do, uh, open it up. Awesome. And I will, as always, put that in the show notes for, yeah. for people, for easy, easy clickage. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I say these things. They just come out. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's go, uh, as important as, as I think pay up is, um, I'm kind <laughs> of geeking out over your podcast. Um, so I've, it's been on my list since I found out you had a podcast. I've been like, okay, I've got to get to this. And then uh, this afternoon, it's like, oh, I'm talking to Alex today. Like, I really have to sit down and listen to some episodes. And I I really love it. I love it oh a lot. Thank you. So why did I've li- I listened to your most recent two? Okay. So can we talk about podcasting and like all of all of the geeky podcasting things? Because yes, podcasting is my favorite thing. <laughs> so why did you start? Well, first, it's called the Lady, the, the Lady, Lady Cast. Cast. And why did you start it? To answer this question, I need to go back to the very beginning of <laughs> podcasting and why I love it. So I discovered podcasting when I was in like. <gasps> Eighth grade, I think. Okay. I remember I discovered um, Ben Lee has a podcast, or he did for five episodes. Um, you know, Ben Lee, he's like an Australian singer-songwriter. He sang Catch My Disease, uh, which was an Adele commercial in like 2006. Mm-hmm. So he had a podcast, and I discovered it somehow, I think through MySpace, and I was obsessed with it. He just talked about books he was reading, music he was listening to. He interviewed people. It was probably terrible quality. I have tried to look it up since then and can't find it because it died after five episodes. But from there, I just totally fell in love with the idea of podcasting. And so I, it was like pretty early on at that point. And so the only podcasts I could really find, find were NPR podcasts. So mm-hmm. I listened to um, This American Life, Fresh Air. Uh, and then I discovered uh, the Savage Lovecast. And I was at first super scandalized, especially listening to it in public because it's 
it's like very explicit, but, um, it's, it's wonderful. And yeah, it's been like every year I would add another one and then podcasting blew up. So I go to college and I went to the university of Georgia and I went to college with this perfect plan where I was going to write for the school paper and work at the school radio station and intern at NPR one year and then intern at This American Life and then Ira Glass would adopt me and I would live happily ever after. That sounds, uh, what could go wrong? Exactly, right? right? So um, immediately things went wrong. <laughs> I, I uh, joined the radio station and I went up to the news director at the time and I was like, I am so ready to do this. Like, I want to be Ira Glass. And he was like, okay, that's cute. Um, And he's like, okay, our meetings are Mondays at 6 o'clock. And I was like, yeah, my uh, sorority meets at 6 o'clock. But, like, I still really want to be involved. And and I said it, like, exactly like that. Okay. Um, And the student radio station is the most hipster place at our school. And so these two things were very, very different. Okay. Um, anyway, never heard from him again. And pretty much my like radio dreams very slowly died over the next four years. I graduated college a couple years ago. And then that year serial happened. And I was like, oh my God, podcasting is a thing now. Why didn't I do this sooner? And so like for months, it was just the guilt and the shame was just eating me alive. Oh, no. Yeah, no, it was oh. sad. I was like, I was like, this is my calling and I just don't even know how to do audio. I don't know how to do anything. So I was walking down the street and um, listening to one of the podcasts I really love and getting really frustrated because they only interviewed white men. Like occasionally they would interview women, but... Like, not often. Mm -hmm. And I was like, God, there are so many great women in the world. Like, why can't we just talk to them? And then at the same time, I thought of all of the mediocre men who have podcasts that are terrible. And I was like, I need to just do this because even if it's horrible, it's going to be like just as good as theirs. So I'm just going to do it. I'm over here nodding vigorously. (laughs) Yeah. So I started it in August of last year, 2015. And yeah, been going strong. I think I took one session off. Like I I release episodes every two weeks. And um, I think I took one little like episode off. And so I went like one month without an episode. But... Yeah, it's been like pretty consistent and it's been really fun to just learn how to do audio. You know, I Mm -hmm. I don't have plans for this to dominate the world or anything. Like I really started it just so I could learn how to record and how to interview better and um, how to edit and just put together a product. It's really interesting because so much of what you said resonated. You know, I was the whole time you were talking over here, just just nodding. Just, you know, because that's kind of why I started less than or equal. It's I being in the tech industry, I listen to a lot of tech podcasts and it's all dudes and many of them are my friends, but it's all white dudes. Well, not literally all, but, you know, and (laughs) I started doing the same thing. I was like, okay, interview podcasts. I can at least, you know, get some different perspectives from this. And I started like looking at the 
the more well-known interview tech podcasts, tech interview podcasts, anyway, mm-hmm. and started looking at the guest lists and it was almost exclusively men. And when there was a woman, like if I saw, noticed there were multiple women over, you know, the span of several episodes, it was always the same woman. And, you know, smart women, don't get me wrong, but still just one one woman voice in the female voice in the midst of all of these guys. And I was like, we we can definitely do better than this. Like I can definitely do better this than this. And initially less than or equal was going to be female only. And then I decided, oh no, you know, let's let's open this up and make it a little bit broader. But I, I feel like we started podcast our podcast for very, very similar reasons. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I think I know a lot of women who have started podcasts for this reason, which I am totally for. Yeah, because if we don't, who else will, you know? Yeah, no, it was like this this feeling before I started the podcast, and I think a lot of people feel this um, when they're trying to write things, like write books. Um, people have this feeling like everything that's already been done is all that will ever be done. And like nothing that you have to contribute will be unique or insightful in any way. And that's such a destructive way to think, you know, it's just like, that's a way to silence yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, and I really, really struggled with it because, you know, pretty, pretty soon after I started my podcast, a bunch of other interview podcasts started where they were essentially the premise was women interviewing women and they were so much bigger than me. And that was like, uh, made me feel really bad. Like they blew up a lot faster. They have so many more listeners, but even still, like, I know that I can offer just a little bit to a listener, Mm -hmm. you know, the few listeners I have. And that's, that feels really good. And like, that feels like the right decision for me. Well, it's really interesting that so I've had I've had men email me and say, I want I want to help prop women up. I want to start my own podcast interviewing women. You know, the scenario that you've described. What is your advice? And Mm. I reply and say, my advice is to find a podcast hosted by a woman already doing this and promote it. Yeah. And then I never hear back from them. (laughs) But I mean, really, if you want to prop up the voices of women, prop up the voices of women. Don't try to insert your own voice into that, you know? Totally. Or like produce a podcast by women. Like you can be like maybe the person producing it, like putting the audio together, because I feel like that's another thing. A big gripe I have with the podcasting world is that oftentimes the host gets all of the credit. Mm -hmm. Like when there are teams, you know, a lot of times it is the host and the producer. They're the same person. But, you know, like a lot of times the person behind the mic who's putting the audio together and making the podcast sound as good as it does is a woman. And she doesn't get the attention because she's not the voice on the microphone. Yep. My, my situation is reversed. I, this podcast honestly would not exist without Justin, without my husband because he edits it. Like I have absolutely no interest in doing any kind of editing. I've tried it. I don't like it. And so he, (laughs) he's taken on that mantle, but yeah. And he, he doesn't really get recognition for it. (laughs) See, that would be a great thing for a guy to do if he wants to elevate women's voices. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, yeah. 
do that. So yeah, if you're if you're a guy, you're especially if you're a cisgender straight, you know, white man, and you email me and say I want to help prop up voices, that that's going to be a, my advice to you. Is also like just listen. Yes. Like a lot of times people want to talk, but like just listen. There's so much listening you can do. And I think that's hard. I think kind of like you were talking about how emotionally hard it's been to podcast kind of like to mm-hmm. have it and to, to put your voice out there and to think that you're worthy of all of that or that you have unique things to say. And I think that guys, so I, I think that's part of like our society and kind of us being socialized women being socialized to listen and men being socialized to talk. And I really feel mm-hmm. like that's a big part of it is that's just what we're taught to do. So we're kind of falling into those natural, not natural patterns, but those, you know, those things that we've been raised, the ways we've been raised to act. But I'm really glad that you're doing it. And I can tell, I can hear like the NPR influences in the show, like the way that you, um, the way, like I just kind of hit the record button and we do some light editing, but you really do like, an introduction, uh, telling people about your guest with like nice music in the background. And, you know, like it, it's got that, it, it does have kind of it. And I thought when I was listening, I was like, oh, this kind of has like an NPR feel to it, which I appreciate. Oh, well, thank you. So the other thing while I'm singing the praises of your show is <laughs> at least the episodes that I've been able to listen to so far at the end, Julia Carpenter, your, your pay up co-conspirator, I'll call her, yes. um, does like a little highlight about a, a historically important woman who you may or may not know about. Mm-hmm. Is that on every show or is that something that's kind of happened later? Well, I think it started happening a few episodes in, but now it's just kind of a regular segment. She has a great newsletter. It's called A Woman to Know. And she started her newsletter, I think, just weeks before I started my podcast. Um, And we went to college together. We live like four blocks away from each other. We are all over each other all the time. It's (laughs) like really obnoxious. So um, it just like totally makes sense that she would be on my podcast and, you know, sometimes she shouts me out in her newsletter. We're just, yeah, we're all about women. Yay, women. So why did you decide <laughs> to add that segment in? Because I I really love it, but. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a natural extension of my podcast. So part of what I feel like my mission is, so I have a couple of things that I'm interested in in my podcast. The first thing is I'm really, really interested in the moments in a woman's life before greatness. So like the choices she makes um, when when she's not famous. Um, and so that's what I really try to get into in my interviews. But Julia's newsletter is about women who were great but didn't get the attention for it. And so it just kind of feels like two sides of the same coin, if that makes sense. And also I love love promoting my friends projects. We are all super pro side hustles. And so all of my friends have side projects and I just love to support them. So yeah, two birds with one stone. I love it. That's what, Mm. uh, are you familiar with shine theory? Yes. Okay. So I was, (laughs) I, 
I did not know that this was a thing I was doing, but uh, Kate Houston um, in a past episode was talking about shine theory. I was like, what does that mean? She's like, oh, it's where you, you know, you kind of prop people up and you like, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not out of a sense of selfishness. It's a sense of like, let's be better together. And that's exactly what you're describing. And I love, I love it because we're better together, I guess. Yeah, no, totally. It's funny. So All right. Story time. My senior year of college, Julia started a, well, it was her senior year too. Julia started a lean in circle, which is like really cute and super 2014 or 2013, whatever. So we had a a real life lean in circle full of girls from our college paper. And the paper was called the red and black. And pretty quickly we realized that it wasn't really feasible to meet every week or every two weeks. And so um, we created a Facebook group. I think Julia created it. And the Facebook group is called R and Beyond. And at first it was only like seven people, 10 people. Now there are 50 people in that group. And we're all women who have been at the Red and Black at some point. The very youngest members are still in college. And the oldest ones graduated like a year before I started. So... We have people from all different parts of their careers, and they live in different parts of the country. They have different kinds of jobs. Not everybody's in journalism, but it's been such an amazingly supportive place. We, you know, have weekly brag threads on Fridays where everybody just brags on things they've done. It's the first place that we go to get gut checks on projects and to announce things that we're working on. And it's been so empowering. Like, I hate using that word, but it has been. And that was really what we modeled pay up on to bring it full circle. Yeah, just all about like creating communities of women who are supporting each other because it feels really, really good. Yeah. And it's so important. I didn't realize, like, I've always been a loner. And it wasn't until my late 20s, I guess, that I really realized how important having a support structure and a community was. That's, yeah, that's really real. So I was a military brat. I grew up all over the country. And I I distinctly remember in high school, like, not knowing where to sit at lunch. And it was like a daily anxiety. Mm-hmm. And just thinking, like, God, it would just be so cool to have a best friend who could, like, understand me and I wouldn't have to try to talk to them. And it's funny because now I have that and so much more and it's it feels like a completely different person. But sometimes I remember that and I'm like, wow, I'm so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally understand. Mm-hmm. So what have you learned? You've been podcasting since August. So we're eight. Yeah. Eight months. No, 10 months. You've been doing this for 10 months. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. What have you learned? I have learned, well, you have this great like guest logistics form on your website, which is just brilliant. And it's on my to-do list now to do that because <laughs> I always write out my logistics every single time for every guest I interview and that's obnoxious. So that's one thing I've learned, but <laughs> probably cut that. It makes things a lot easier. I used to do it, totally. it. I had a thing I'd copy and paste. Well, I had a text expander snippet, so just a a shortcut that I would type out and then I would change things around. And then eventually it was like, why don't I just have a website that I can link? Smart. It's smart. 
But like real things I've learned. Okay. I know I've learned things. Pop filters are really important. Uh, and I will say that I'm recording right now on my little Zoom mic and I'm not using a pop filter and I've already like done a little pops and I'm sorry. Losives. And I've tried to, yeah, I've tried to uh, move my mic so that it's not directly under my mouth, but it's really sensitive. Um, so sorry to your husband. <laughs> He'll be okay. <laughs> um, other things. Consistency is super important. So like publishing on a regular schedule, whatever that means to you is, is important. Something that one of my guests, Emma Gannon, said on my podcast is nobody's going to shout about your work louder than you're going to. Mm -hmm. I probably, I'm paraphrasing that, but it has stuck with me and I think about it pretty much every day. It can be kind of discouraging when it feels like nobody's listening, like nobody cares what you're doing. Um, but you just have to remember that like literally nobody cares as much as you do. And the only way that you can make people care is to just like keep putting it out there. Yep. And it feels dirty and it feels gross, but whatever. Cause it's not, <laughs> it's not. And yeah, it, it's something I still really, really struggle with. Mm -hmm. Self self promotion is something I really struggle with. Same, yeah. same. I mean, it helps when you have an interview based show. Cause like usually the guest will promote it too. And so that's, that's helpful, but yeah. You still got to put yourself out there. You do. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. but, and I think again, back to socialization, this is one of those things. Uh, it's like, I was taught to keep my head down and do good work and people would notice. That's a lie. That is a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> so, but it's something that I really, a lesson I really internalize, like keep your head down, don't make trouble, you know, mm -hmm. and just just do your thing. So I, I tend to be kind of quiet about myself and I'm like, okay, if I tweet about how, how much should I tweet about this and how much should I promote on, on Facebook and, um, how much is too much. And then I, I have friends who are like, they'll tweet about the same thing like six times a day. Oh yeah. I mean, nobody really sees it even with the algorithm. Like yeah. people follow so many people on Twitter. And, like, nobody's really paying attention to anything. You have, like, one second to grab someone's attention, and they probably just scrolled past you. So, yeah. No. Oh, another thing I thought of. Mm -hmm. So, early on when I started the podcast, I was really, really obsessed with the, like, technical quality of my podcast, which is funny because now when I listen back, it sounds horrible, and I was so upset because I knew it was horrible. And I think I even have one episode where I like apologized for the quality of it at the beginning. And that would, that's something I've learned. Like, don't apologize. And like, yeah, it's going to be shit. But if the conversation is good and if you're getting to a really real place with somebody, that's what people are going to remember. Yeah. And to me, it goes back to just doing it. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, when I started Less Than or Equal, it was like we put a lot of care like, OK, we're going to get not it's not like a professional mic, but we're going to get a good mic and we're going to get the the pop filter and we're going to get, you know, invest in stuff, you know, stuff to make it sound better. And it's going to be really, really good. And this is going to be like the the level we maintain because it's going to be great to begin with. And I have not listened to like episode one or two in a while but I'm sure compared to now it's bad because 
like we've invested in more equipment, Justin, we've invested in, you know, like filters for logic and like all of this stuff. And so, and you know, just our knowledge is deeper now. And so like all of this stuff you learn and it's like, if you're paralyzed by getting it perfect to begin with and you keep chasing that, you're never going to get started. Exactly. Yeah. That's super real. So the third thing I thought we might talk about is being a journalist. Um, at one point, I thought I might be, and then I decided that wasn't a career path that I wanted to pursue. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, but why, um, or I guess, what attracted you to journalism, and how did you get started? So I already said that I was, I was really into radio and podcasts. What, what hooked me early on was... A This American Life episode called, I think it was called The Pimp Anthropology. And it was, it was exactly what it sounds like. It was an anthropology of pimps. Okay. And my mind was blown listening to that. I remember I was listening to it on the bus and I was just like, oh my God, this is like so different from anything I've ever heard before, you know, the news up until that point was, to me, it was just kind of dry, boring. I didn't really get it. I didn't really follow it. But that was, you know, This American Life is also not hard news. But that was like my gateway where I was where I was like, oh my gosh, media is a thing that I could relate to. So then I started thinking about it more and investigating it more. I'm trying to think though, like... I've always been a writer. I've always been really interested in writing and in understanding people because I grew up all over the country, like I said, and I didn't have friends a lot. And so I was always trying to understand these cultures that I would move to. Like I moved from Washington State to Georgia to South Georgia, and that was a completely different culture. I bet. Yeah. And so I would just observe and write all the time. Because I was like, ah, these people speak a different language. Was it like, what's the um, Harriet the Spy? Yes, going I around? love Harriet the Spy. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I joined the paper in college and I wrote for the school paper and I got various internships. I actually, for a period, thought that I wasn't going to go into journalism because everybody just told me that it was impossible. And so I was thinking about digital marketing and PR and advertising. So I was kind of toying with those ideas. But I was a women's studies major, and I was not going to change that because it was really, really important to me. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do what I want to (laughs) do. And (laughs) I ended up getting an internship at USA Today in the summer of 2013, And I was a social marketing intern. So it was like social media department, but for marketing. Um, But my boss, who's Mark W. Smith, who I actually work with at The Post now, which is really cool. I sit next to him. But he was my boss for my internship. And he is, he like came from a newsroom background and he's back in the newsroom now. But for the period he was in marketing, he sent me to go cover the Supreme Court decisions um, that year in 2013. Wow. It was really cool. It would be and it really was, cool. Um, yeah, it was when they struck down DOMA. And like I was there, I had a USA Today badge. I was, and it was like social media. So I was tweeting and I was Instagramming and taking Vines because Vine was a thing. And um, I guess Vine is still a thing, but it's Not different. so much, yeah. 
Yeah. Then I was like, oh my gosh, I understood that rush that you get when breaking news is happening. And at that point I was like, nope, not doing advertising, not doing PR. I'm like back all in in journalism. So yeah, I spent my senior year just kind of focusing back in on that. I had an internship at HLN in Atlanta. And that's how I actually got really close with Julia because the fall semester of my senior year, she was interning at CNN. I was interning at HLN and they were both in the CNN center in Atlanta, which is about an hour and a half away from Athens, which is where UGA is. Okay. So twice a week we would drive to Atlanta and back. Um, and she didn't have a car, so we would drive together and we got really, really close because we spent like four hours together twice a week (laughs) that'll do it yeah that'll do it um but it was great and yeah after I graduated I got a job at a small political magazine in DC and moved out here a month after I graduated and worked there for a year and then went to join Julia at the post so people told you that journalism wasn't a thing you could do yes why Because, I don't know, I guess when you think of journalism, it just sounds like a risky career path. Okay. Um, Riskier than, I don't know, business of some Mm -hmm. sort. Okay. Also, I was going to college, I went to college in 2010, so it was still in the aftermath of the recession, um, and everybody was super cautious. And so that definitely colored the way I thought about my career and how hard I had to work in order to get a job. Okay, that makes more sense. So it's just like, yeah, journalism is not, I guess, known for producing fortune. Yeah. People say there's no money in journalism, but like there is. And I, that's something I always want to tell college students and even high school students is that people always tell them, oh, if you want to go into journalism, be prepared to make no money for the rest of your life. I'm like, yeah, I could probably be making more money for the work that I do somewhere else that's not in journalism, but it, I, I can live like I'm eating, right. you know, I live in a big city and I can afford groceries every month. So like bar is pretty low for me as a single person. <laughs> that's um, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Strong feelings. Like Again, I feel like that's another myth that the world tells us, and it keeps a lot of pretty cautious, sensible women from going into what's perceived as a risky career path, but it's not. Yeah, I think think the distinction that most people are going after is like you're you're not going to, unless you turn into Anderson Cooper or, oh gosh, I, I can't even think of you know like these celebrity journalists yeah you know you're not gonna make millions of dollars and that I I feel like that's still what we're told the goal should be like is is to get rich yeah and it like isn't I mean I'm for some people it is but I don't know I've been thinking a lot about the idea that like if you're an entrepreneur I definitely have like an entrepreneurial streak, as you can tell by mm-hmm. my side projects, but I still really like the stability of having a salary. But I've been thinking like, if you're an entrepreneur, like what if your bar is just to live a good life and live a happy life? Like maybe you don't want to be the next Facebook. Like maybe you just want to be the next you, mm-hmm. you know? 
I feel like as I've gotten older, I've come around more to that. Like I want, I, I would like to pay my debt off. Um, I would like to have money to travel, but really I just want to not feel like every day is drudgery. Um, you know, like I worked at Walmart for about six weeks in college and I was like, I just walked out one day because it was awful. Um, so I've kind <laughs> of always had that, but, but yeah, my, my goal has definitely shifted from like, I want to make, I don't know, half a million dollars a year, which seems like an exorbitant amount of money to me to, yeah, I want to be able to pay my bills and save for retirement and do some things I want to do, but I don't want to feel beholden to a job it's funny because I so I don't feel that way about money but I feel that way about like titles and awards and recognition it's like that same it's like ego-driven candy that just like you know tastes good but doesn't really feed you Mm -hmm. Um, and it's because I'm you know a recent graduate and for my entire life at this point, it's been like every semester, what am I working toward? Like, am I trying to get an A? Am I trying to win this award? Am I trying to get this internship? So my mind has been on that like hamster wheel for years. And I'm only just now learning like, oh my gosh, what if I just live? What if I just try to do good work and be happy? Mm -hmm. It's such a radical way of thinking that I'm still trying to teach myself to feel that way and to learn to like, make my mind move like that. It's a definite, it's a huge shift. And mm-hmm. I felt that when I graduated for several years after I graduated even too. Ugh. Well, I'm hoping that it goes away it, maybe soon. <laughs> I think, well, because that's, I mean, that's how you're raised, right? And I don't know, I was expected to get the A. I was expected to be, oh, yeah. you know, I was valedictorian in my senior class. That was expected oh my of gosh. me. And that's awesome. I mean, that's uh, a thing, you know, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, yeah. But so we're taught, you know, in the U.S., we're taught from the age of like four or five, if you do preschool, to like somewhere between 17 and 19. And then into college, however long that takes you, I think that many of us, I don't think this is the story in every family, but many of us are taught to be kind of achievement oriented and like external reward seeking. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of, I don't know, I graduated from college and there's still a part of me that's kind of like that. Like I want recognition that I'm doing good work. It doesn't have to be constant or whatever, but just an occasional like, Oh yeah, that was good. Good job. And I think that's part of why is because I was very achievement oriented growing up but yeah it's gotten better for me for sure uh I've been meditating a lot for the last like two months or so and that's helped a little bit um but yeah still I mean I'm just trying to like focus on what's making me happy on a day-to-day basis and trust that like that'll take care of the future mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah I keep meaning to meditate and it's not a thing that I'm <laughs> actually successful at yet have you tried the Breathe app? It's like Stop, Think, and Breathe, I think is what it's called. I haven't. I've tried uh, Calm and Headspace. I like both of those. And but Stop, Think, and Breathe is great because it gamifies 
meditation, which is totally what I need in my like hyper competitive achievement oriented mind. That might be what I need too. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. Well, and I I have an Apple Watch, and as we're recording this last week was WWDC uh, 2016, and they announced a very, like, very Apple-centric tech community as kind of one of the spaces I occupy. So last week they announced on the Apple Watch they're actually going to have, like, sit down and breathe reminders if you want to enable oh, those. That's awesome. So if my wrist buzzes every once in a while, I was like, Hey, you need to step back and calm down. I'm hoping that might help too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I could totally use that. I've been thinking I should just set reminders on my phone. Like, Hey, maybe take a second and like, don't look at your computer for like five seconds. Yeah. Except then, uh, then I start to ignore them and then, yeah. Yep. yep. And then you start to feel guilty when you start to see them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> completely. Uh, totally and completely. Being a workaholic is fun. <laughs> no. No, it's not. So I've been, I left my job uh, two and a half months ago. So I've been unemployed for two and a half months. And, um, well, yeah, I mean, technically. So I'm involved with an organization called App Camp for Girls. And I'm starting, we do summer camps for one week and we teach girls, we kind of immerse them in uh, in iOS development. So they create an, an iOS app in a week. And so I'm starting the first Phoenix camp and I quit my job. I was fortunate fortunate enough to be able to quit my job to focus on making sure those as well as possible. Um, so I've been focused on that, but I've had a lot of freedom and daily naps are really a nice thing. I've got to say, Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and letting go of kind of that feeling of, cause I also worked from home. So I always felt like I needed to be working. Um, I didn't have separation. And so letting go of that has actually been pretty great. So I'm an advocate for not being a workaholic. <laughs> if you can, I am too in theory, mm-hmm. but I have a really hard time with it. <laughs> I totally understand. I really do. Uh, yeah. Um. So, how can people find you online? Um. So my Twitter account is at Alex Laughs. I'm actually on every platform as Alex Laughs. Um. I think, except for maybe LinkedIn, which whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then my website is alexlaughs.com. And then the LadyCast is everywhere as the LadyCast, at the LadyCast. And then the website is ladycast.com. Okay. Um, Well, you can find the show on Twitter uh, or, you know, that's where I always am. Find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm forward slash LT. T-O-E and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you'd leave a review or even a star rating on iTunes. This helps people find the show and helps them know that it's good. Uh, thank you for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal. <laughs>